Listen to some of these verses from Psalm 28. Verse 3. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The glory of God thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks cedars. Verse 7. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashing lightnings. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forest bare. There is power. There is a sense of the awesomeness of God. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The glory of God thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty rivers. And that's where we start today. Hopefully that's where we finish. But not many of you perhaps have um, heard what I said on Wednesday in the meditation. And I think it's important for the context to give you just a brief recap here. But the first thing was that the lectionary reading on Tuesday this week was from Psalm 37. It's a, another one of those fantastic psalms where um, it's designed as an acrostic with each letter of the alphabet, the Hebrew alphabet, um, forming segments that start with that. It's beautifully written, beautifully designed. And the Old Testament, when it's addressing the question of evil, often expresses it in the form of a question. And in uh, Psalm 37, it starts off like this. Do not fret because of evil men, or be envious of those who do wrong. Or like, for like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. And so the psalmist frames the question at hand. Essentially what he's saying is, why do the wicked prosper and why do the good suffer? Why, are, why is there evil in the world? What is going on? And he presents an answer, one of the answers, and there's never a definitive answer in the scriptures. But he's basically saying, don't worry, it's temporary. It won't last forever. And then two things happened during the week on the same day. Um, I got news of a young girl, 15-year-old, who had been hospitalized on Monday night um, because she had attempted suicide. And I was praying for her and her family. And I must say, within me, the sense of agitation and anger started to rise up. What was it that this young life had come to such a point that she thought there was no point in continuing? What had she had to deal with in her uh, brief period that had pushed her to that point? And then the other thing was, it was Remembrance Sunday the week before and on Wednesday, again, a focus on how many men and women down the ages have given their lives in the pursuit of peace or justice in war. And although it's supposed to be a memory of the noble uh, sacrifice that people make, it's still a sacrifice that needed to be made because there is this terrible thing called war. And so this thing was buzzing around in my head and I just thought of all the injustices, all the difficulties and heartaches and the litany of suffering and pain that there is in the world, not just far away, but around us and even in us on occasion. 
Paul writes to the Ephesian church and he makes it clear to them that our fight is not against um, flesh and blood. The struggle that we have is against principalities and powers. Our struggle is against those powers of dark evil in the world. Our struggle is against the forces of evil, the brokenness, the suffering and the pain in the world. And we had a call to prayer as a movement, as um, Christians across the country on Friday. And this is what we're praying for, that God would be manifest, that there would be an uprising of justice and righteousness and peace and goodness and love in the world. Because there is so much of the opposite. And Paul, writing to the Ephesians, when he says that, he says, pray at all times in the Spirit, in verse 15 in chapter 6. Um, pray on all occasions, it says in the NIV, with all kinds of prayers and requests, or as the message says it this way, prayer is essential in this ongoing warfare. Pray long and hard. I want to focus on that today because this praying long and hard is that we should persevere and we should actually be quite strident about it. This is not a time for being just tentative about our prayer. Prayer is essential in this ongoing warfare. It is actually essentially that, a warfare of light and dark, good and evil. And we are called to pray long and hard. I remember um, as a teenager at Bible college, we were, we were told we had to memorize X number of verses. I can't remember now how many. And of course, um, the first one we did was the passage in the Gospels where it was Jesus wept, because that's not too difficult to forget. I chose 1 Thessalonians 5.17 as my second one, uh, because that's also got only three words. It says, pray without ceasing. And Paul writes to the Greeks in Thessaloniki, and he's basically saying to them, pray without ceasing, never, ever, 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 ever give up on prayer. It's a continuous, ongoing process that we pray. To the churches in Asia Minor at, at Colossae, he wrote this in Colossians 4 verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer. It's got to be something that becomes and forms part of the, of the core uh, substance of who we are as followers of Jesus. If we want to be genuine followers of Jesus, if we want to see God's kingdom come, at the very center of all of that is a devotion to prayer. Pray diligently, says the message. And it is a direct response to what Jesus did with his disciples. In Luke chapter 10, it, Jesus is busy praying. And um, when he's finished, his disciples come to him and they say to him, teach us to pray, just like John taught his disciples. And Jesus then speaks to them and he gives them that magnificent prayer, which we call the Lord's Prayer, uh, which contains within it the kernel of everything that they needed to know. And then he flows seamlessly into talking about um, a friend who came at my, he tells a story. Straight after he said, this is how you ought to pray, he then tells them a story about a man knocking and not being willing to get up, but being persistent, and therefore the guy got up. 
And he, he, he rounds the story off with these words. He says, I tell you that even though he will not give up, get up and give him anything because he is a friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Jesus is saying to his disciples, don't ever give up. There's never an occasion where you are allowed to give up in this um, quest for prayer to seeing God's kingdom come. And then he says this, and I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And we've said it before and I'll say it again. I'll say it as long as it needs to be said. Those verbs are in the continuous present tense. It's an ongoing asking and seeking and knocking. It's a never-ending asking and seeking and knocking. And then Jesus says, For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it shall be opened. Magnificent verses. And when we understand that Paul says um, prayer is essential in this ongoing warfare in Ephesians, pray long and hard, what he's saying is pray long, is persevere, keep going, never, ever, ever stop. Devote yourselves to prayer. Then there's a little while later and in chapter 18 of Luke, and we don't know how it's transpired, but it's just quite instructive that chapter 11, they asking Jesus to teach them to pray. And in chapter 18, he starts telling them a parable. And it says in chapter 18, verse 1, to, he tells them this parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. It is possible to lose heart. It is possible to give up. It is possible to come to an end and say, what's the point? Because we haven't yet seen the fruit of what we've been praying for. Or we pray and it seems like the opposite happens and we say, well, why did that happen? The message says, pray consistently and never give up. Jesus wants to teach and to drive home to his disciples that this whole concept of prayer is not something that we do here and there or part-time. It's that we pray consistently and never give up. And then true to form, he tells them another story. I'm going to read it to you. He says, There was a certain, a certain city a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. And there was a widow in that city and she kept coming to him and saying, Give me legal protection from my opponent. And for a while he was unwilling. But afterwards he said to himself, Even though I do not fear God nor respect man, uh, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection, lest by continually coming she wear me out. And the Lord said, Hear what the righteous judge said. Now he's saying to them, Stop and pause. Try to understand what's being said here. The widow actually is, in some respects, uh, a symbol of helplessness. She can't bring any pressure to bear on the judge. She's got no influence or any power. But she has two things. Number one, she's right. She knows she's right. And she comes then, secondly, with this incessant pestering and bothering and persistence, which Jesus has already spoken to his disciples about in chapter 11. Ask, 
knock, seek. And the interesting thing about this verse here, it says in verse 5, I will give her legal protection, lest by continually coming she wear me out. Now, being worn out is one thing. The text itself actually says, let me give this woman what she wants, because if I'm not careful, she'll give me a black eye. That's the uh, colloquial. It does talk about giving a black eye. And I know that one of the older German translations, uh, a friend of me, a friend of mine told me one day, it talks about, let me give this woman what she wants before she plucks my eye out. There's a, there's a kind of a violence involved here. There's a sense that this woman isn't going to go away. She's willing to do whatever it takes in order to get justice. And there's the lesson for us. We need to do whatever it takes in order to get justice. Now, um, Edmund Burke, in the 18th century, it's this famous saying of his that he said, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good, good men to do nothing. And I must say that I wonder sometimes whether our lack of persistence and perseverance and dynamic driving in, in prayer, our being devoted to prayer, hasn't left the door open sometimes for this to happen. And it made me think of um, the most beautiful um, poem written by George Herbert. Now, George Herbert was a um, 17th century uh, clergyman, poet, um, interesting life, and we won't go into it now. He died at 39 from what was described then as consumption, which is TB. But by the time he was 39, he had this massive um, body of poetry that he had written. Um, someone once described him as a long-haired, lute-playing Anglican priest. But he wrote beautiful poetry in fluid Latin and Greek and English. And there are at least 90 of his poems that are set to music as hymns. And the Wesley brothers, Charles and John Wesley, used 40 of them in the time that they were writing their magnificent hymns. And the one I'm referring to is the one called Prayer, Prayer 1, because he wrote several on prayer. But this is the, the first and most profound one that he wrote. And it's not in many anthologies of poetry, so you've got to go looking for it if you want to read it. It's a sonnet. It's 14 lines, um, not typical classically a sonnet in terms of its structure. And it's a single sentence. It's one sentence, but it's not a proper sentence because there's no main verb. There's no statement that it makes. And it's, it's essentially grammatically incomplete. And that's possibly what it's trying to say, is that prayer is never complete. It's never finished. It's an ongoing process. And what... George Herbert does is he, he's compressed virtually an, a lifetime of prayer into this one poem. He's communicating, he's, he's communicating to us his experience of communicating with God. There are, it's rich, there are 27 different metaphors. As one commentator said, it's like a rainbow scattering of images, a verbal palette of pictures. It's real, intense, personal and it communicates and expresses anger as well as reverence. And that's the point. That's the point I want to come to. 
it's this anger and reverence that it comes through in the poem. Because this, line six of the poem, right at the core, at the, whole, at the heart of the poem virtually, is this line. Reversed thunder, Christ's side-piercing spear. Doesn't make a lot of sense when you read it out of the context, but it's that reversed thunder that I want to just focus on for a few moments. Timothy Keller, in his book on prayer, says the Bible contains laments and petitions and pleadings, for prayer is rebellion against the evil status quo in the world. And that's what George Herbert is saying. Prayer is, the, is rebellion against the evil status quo in the world. And as we looked earlier, as I read from Psalm 29, that there is God thundering, his voice thunders from heaven and his voice, and then it describes what his voice does and the power of God's voice as it is thrown to us. It's not just only a gentle whisper, it's the thundering presence of the glory of God. God is seen as the one who thunders. And what Herbert does is he takes that and he says, there is a reversed thunder that takes place. Prayer somehow harnesses the power, that power that God has, has given to us as he speaks, as his voice comes to us. That our petitions are not heard in heaven as a whisper, but as a crack and a boom and a roar. Our petitions, as we bring them to God, are heard in heaven as reverse thunder. We're throwing it back to him. Now, a colleague and friend and a contemporary of George Herbert was John Donne. And in a sermon towards the end of his life, he wrote this. We press, we importune God. Prayer has the nature of impudency. We threaten God in prayer, and God suffers this impudency and more. Prayer has the nature of violence. We besiege God. We thunder at God. Reverse thunder. And I want to say to all of us today that we need to devote ourselves to prayer. We need to pray continuously. We need, we need to pray and never give up. We need to thunder at God. In Luke 18 again, that at all times we ought to pray and not give up. Never ever give up in terms of our prayer. And that our prayer, when we come to the judge of this world, that the point of all this is that when we come in prayer to the judge of this world, we come in such a way that like the widow, we bother him to the extent where, as John Don says, prayer is, has the nature of violence. We besiege God. Let's besiege God on behalf of all the brokenness and violence and suffering that is in the world. Let's come back and join together in prayer and express our outrage at the fact that there is so much heartache and so much brokenness around us. Reverse thunder. Let's pray and never give up.